It's Friday, October 26th. I'm your intrepid host, Jeff Eaton, Senior Architect at Lullabot, and it's Episode 3 of Insert Content Here. Insert Content Here Words intentionally unclear Insert Content Here Our guest today is Erin Kassain. Um, she's got a, a long and storied history uh, in the world of uh, <laughs> web, in, in the world of content strategy and, and web content in general. Um, you were the the editor of a list apart magazine for almost a decade. Um, you're the author of the Elements of Content Strategy, which is is I always feel like the title is kind of a strunk and white shout out, but it it totally okay. is. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I, I I thought so. A respectful I just... <laughs> shout out, yes. Um, and you're also now the uh, the founder of Contents Magazine, and uh, you just helped launch uh, Source, a tech journalism project. It's uh, looking really really interesting. It's an impressive array of stuff that you've been doing. So how, how did you like get on this track? Like, <laughs> uh, that's such a good question. I mean, first of all, thank you for having me. This is great. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's a really smart question for which I may not have a useful answer. Um, you know, I, I think the truth is that I was probably heading for publishing after college um, because I wasn't an English major technically, but I did sort of hang out in the lit world. Um, but then I learned HTML, and uh, as everyone knows, that's a gateway drug. <laughs> so, you know, once I realized I could put things directly on the web, and this was in the late 90s, um, the idea of sort of starting in the mailroom and hoping I could eventually work my way up to a copy editing position sort of didn't seem as appealing. So I just started doing stuff. Um, <laughs> and the story that Jeffrey Zeldman of A List Apart, the founder and publisher there, will tell um, and does tell whenever he gets the chance is that I was this person who kept emailing him copy edits. <laughs> Until he finally got so annoyed that he offered me the position of proofreader for no money, which, of course, I accepted. And that's just how it worked from there. So, that's the web version of the mailroom. <laughs> it, it turns out it is. But it's a, it's a little bit of a, a, a quicker um, path, I think. So, yeah, I was an editor or eventually editor-in-chief of A List Apart for quite a long time, which was lovely. Um, and I also, at the same time I was doing that, was... Uh, editing some books and working with Happy Cog, um, the web studio, sort of in the beginning of content strategy. I mean, I'd seen it in a big tech consultancy that I'd worked in. There was sort of a very technical kind of content strategy being done. And then in the early, I want to say like 2003 or 2004, it started to really show up as an obvious need in the consulting world, even for smaller agencies. Mm -hmm. Um and Happy Cog was a very editorially focused web agency, which was super unusual. I mean, Jeffrey's a writer I was working with. Um, Liz Danzico, uh, as our information architect, Liz is an editor herself. Jason Santa Maria was our designer. Jason is extraordinarily attentive to content and type, of course. Um, so it was sort of a natural thing for us as a group to really focus on content work. Um, and then I guess content strategy kind of grew up around that while I wasn't 
paying attention. I was just sort of doing the client work. <laughs> that, that's a really common story, actually. It's like everyone I've talked to, it's like, and then we woke up and realized, holy cow, we're doing content strategy. Yeah, We should be intentional about this. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the nice thing for me, I, I gathered this wasn't everyone's experience maybe, but you know, for me, it really just grew up very organically in response to the needs of the clients who began to realize, you know, having not planned for editorial work, um, that that caused them all sorts of trouble and pain later on. So they, you know, sort of came to us looking for that kind of help. And then increasingly, they came to us earlier and we began to offer it and offer something that was more sophisticated than um, sort of only the tone and voice stuff or just the editorial calendar, something that was more unified. So, you know, by the time I left Happy Cog, it was a, a, a pretty well-known practice out in the world, which is great. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things I think is interesting, too, is that, like, you edited a list apart during, I guess, I mean, I don't, I don't want to overstate it, but it, it feels like it was really during the rise of, like, web standards as something that people agreed upon versus something that, you know, a few, you know, passionate web people would occasionally get together and, you know, like have drinks and mutter yes. about how, how terrible it is that we have to make three sites for three browsers, you know? <laughs> yes. And like, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated at like the role that a list apart and some of the related like projects played in that. Do you feel like it was an interesting opportunity to be able to help sort of shape and, and shepherd that process as the editor? Oh God. Yes. And that's honestly, that's, I remember having a conversation um, with a friend fairly early on while I was at a list apart um, because I was spending a lot of time on these articles and my friend was like, why aren't you, why aren't you working on books? That seems like more your thing. And the, the explanation that came to mind then, which has turned out to sort of shape the whole trajectory of my work, is that getting these web standards right, getting accessibility right, and, and making a sensible path for web makers is the most important publishing issue there is. You know, when we talk about really getting information to everyone, that means we have to have accessibility figured out. And it's it would be cool to be working just on books, but this seems so important. And I think that was true of everyone who was on those early projects, because as you said, they were like, they were very sort of low glory. <laughs> and it didn't, it was not at all clear that we were going to succeed. Yeah. Um, it seemed like such a long shot in the beginning because you had the big browser companies who were all invested in doing their own proprietary things. And then, you know, you had a few web developers with no sort of cultural power saying, this chaos is bad. It's bad for a number of reasons. It wastes our time. It makes, you know, worse the, the, the websites that we create. And also it creates massive accessibility problems for those people who need to use assistive devices. That's not an obvious sell. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I remember in those days, you know, a lot of a, not, a lot of initial backlash being, ah, it's just a bunch of web designers who don't like having to do the work, <laughs> yes. you know. <laughs> yeah, well, and you also had a few people who were like, yeah, but if we make web development easier, you know, other people are going to take our jobs. So there were sort of some interesting financial incentives yeah. as well. But it was so encouraging to be in the middle of that um, and actually see it work. Um, 
which, like I said, I, I don't know how many of us actually thought that was going to happen, um, but it did. And it was a result- noble cause, but to see it succeed <laughs> was even even more fun. Yeah, and it was you know it was a great thing to be working on. And then I think we almost couldn't tell when we had achieved it. Like there was about a year where we were like web standards. Oh wait, we did that. Like wait a minute, everyone huh. agrees. Huh. Weird, yeah. So it took a little while to sort of figure out, okay, you know, I remember at List Apart, we'd have these editorial conversations where we were like, so it feels like a number of these battles have been won. What should we do next? <laughs> um, you know, which turns out to be that the, the the ongoing process of standard making and also the development of new technologies and the reuse of older technologies um, is a constant source of, you know, need for smart walkthroughs and how-tos and consideration. I mean, just, it's so weird for me, and this is maybe the thing that will date me the most, the fact that JavaScript is so cool right now <laughs> it's, is amazing. It used to be the things that, you know, you made fun of. Yes, absolutely. Oh, they're like, using JavaScript, JavaScript on their <laughs> No one would ever call themselves a JavaScript developer. It's like, you what, know? do you really need rollover buttons? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, on on source, this um, sort of journalism code project, there's a lot of great stuff being, you know, of course, built on Node or something like that. So I, I think that's really exciting. But it's one of those things that, like, had I projected ten years in advance, that is something I would have missed. I would not yeah. have said JavaScript. That's where to go. <laughs> that's the plastics. So yeah, it's peculiar. I remember William Gibson. Occasionally, people will ask him, like, why aren't there cell phones? in some of his like early groundbreaking science fiction like Neuromancer and he's like that's the thing I couldn't predict I have no idea that 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 would turn out like we'd carry phones with us and they'd be little computers well I I remember actually one of the iconic scenes in that book was um the the main character case is walking through the airport an airport terminal and someone's trying to track him down and there's this bank of payphones yes. and it's and it's this creepy moment where he's walking down and each one rings as he passes <laughs> it and it's this sense of oh my god they know where he is and yeah. now looking back it's like wait a minute a bank of payphones payphones <laughs> ringing yeah 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 so i mean I, I think that's one of the reasons that i'm i'm always so hesitant to try to prognosticate about almost anything is like it's so clear that we really can't tell what's going to be weird and interesting. So, yeah, hey, JavaScript, it's great. Yeah, I, well, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that, like the difficulty of, pro, you know, of, of predicting what like the next big thing is going to be. I mean, it, well, it's a, it's a fun hobby, but it's, it's sure. risky to actually try to, you know, <laughs> yeah. to, to count on anything of it. But I, I'm, I'm trying to remember who it was that I just seen um, a, a comment from a conference that was going on where they said that, it, you know, if, if you want to really look at what the next big thing is going to be standards wise or technology wise, mm-hmm. look at what's unsustainable today. Uh-huh. Like, and I, I'm curious, what, what kind of things do you think are unsustainable right now? Like, like in in the world of like digital content and web stuff, what's what's like at the breaking point right now, and something sure. needs to happen. Um, I would say the the I'm going to use one of those dreaded words, which is intersection. The but I sort of mean the collision um, when smart editorial processes that are required to do the kind of content work we need to do hit the CMS. Mm. Um, and that's not. That's not a, a new insight, you know. They have we have people like Kara McGrain talking about that all the time. But 
I think we are at a breaking point in the old way we used to deal with web content. Um, the idea of having documents that then go onto web pages and are this sort of whole that we can trust and design in a particular way that go into a CMS that has a field like body. Um, I, I uh, think the body field. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I think that is probably going to have to change. Um, and, you know, we've already seen the, the sort of tectonic pressure of this stuff in large publishing organizations. You know, newspapers are one of the best cases for this kind of thing just because of the sheer quantity of stuff they're publishing. And the fact that they need to move things out into the world, not just their websites. Um, and, and many of the older CMSs are really built for a world of documents and not for a world of... Um, of chunks or blocks or modules, and then the ones that are built for modules tend to be really quite difficult for editorial people to use. So I, I, I said um, at a conference a few months ago, it was a little bit out of context, but I did have a slide about CMSs being horrible. I don't think CMSs, I don't think losing the CMS is the answer, but I do think there's a lot of pressure to sort of bring the CMS along in ways that recognizes the need for modularity and also is much more friendly to the author, to the people who are actually doing that work. Because if you give content makers on the inside of an organization 35 fields to fill out for an article, we see what happens. They don't do it. It's unsustainable for them. Um, so we can't have those really, I think unfair expectations for our makers, um, but we also have a pressure to not just have the body field and a subtitle, you know, for the articles. So that's, I think, a very interesting field. I just was speaking with um, some of the folks at the New York Public Library, and they have one of these systems, um, and I won't say too much about it, but they, they, they were exactly hitting that problem. They were like, we finally moved to a more modular system, and we're finding that it is impossible to spend the time required to fill out every single one of these 30 fields and tags and things. So I think that is one of the most interesting problems. Certainly. Sort of like it, it's what we need, but it's a, yeah. a whole new level of, of labor for the people who have to manage it. And how do you balance that? Yeah, yeah. And what can we do to work around that? I, I have to assume that there are going to be some technical ways of of shortcutting and guessing and saving labor for the people who do the the content handling on the human side um but i haven't seen that many of them yet so i'm i'm, I'm bullish on the future of the cms uh but right now it's pretty frustrating uh, i will say one that i'm actually working on that i really like um our developer on source which is um i should say just for context source is a website it's a a project um of the open news partnership between the Knight Foundation, which is journalism, and the Mozilla Foundation, which is tech. So open news is a journalism tech partnership. Source is a website for people who code inside newsrooms. Oh, really? Say it. Yeah. So it turns out that a lot of major newsrooms, um, both newspapers like the New York Times and the Guardian and, you know, the Chicago Tribune and the LA Times and the Post and so on, but also um, what we think of as sort of radio, NPR, also, uh, you know, Al Jazeera, all of these newsrooms have now small development teams and those teams don't work on the website. They work on projects that go alongside reporting 
to either crunch data on the reporting investigative side, or they make apps that actually allow their end users, their readers or their listeners um, to play with the data themselves. So it's this, you know, I say journalism code and, and, and that's really confusing to people outside of journalism because what, what is that? I thought journalism was words and maybe pictures. <laughs> exactly. What I keep hearing from people at journalism schools and conferences and so on, the, the advice right now to people who are just graduating with journalism degrees is if you want jobs and you want to do interesting work, learn to code. Learn Python. Learn Ruby. So I think... That's super interesting. And Source is a site that's really about featuring those projects. So like this morning, we published a walkthrough by two developers at the Washington Post explaining how they made this wonderful app that looks at um, the disposition of homicide cases in the district over an 11-year period. And it's this extraordinary thing um, that's the result of 15 months of, of sort of reporting work and also app development. And so that's what Source is. Now, where was I going before I decided to explain what source was? <laughs> oh, our CMS. Yeah, so Ryan Pitts is this wonderful developer we've been working with. He's at the Spokesman Review in Spokane doing news development, but he also helped us build source. And it it feels to me like a step in, in the right direction. You know, we do have – it's possible to do a quick article that has just a body field in the summary. But there are code blocks where you can add semantic – blocks of content. So I can say, in this section of the article, we're going to talk about data. And that's going to live as its own semantic content block. That theoretically, hmm. if we wanted to, we could pull out of the article later and do something else with. So sort so, of treating it like, you know, allowing allowing those real fast, you know, I've got text, I need to yeah. publish it types of things, but allowing additional layers of meaning and additional layers of context to be put on for the things that you know have value that needs to be either reused or captured. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's super lightweight. And it just feels like, you know, we're still shaking out the, the wrinkles, but it, it seems like that's a really good step. And it's a very editorially friendly system. So that's been encouraging. And I should probably stop um, marching <laughs> on CMSs in public. <laughs> oh, no, it, well, that's the funny thing. It's I, th I think anybody who's actually worked with, you know, building out a project, for of, of any kind of scope or scale has has hit that wall of frustration, especially when trying to work with you know any kind of existing content team and oh, you know yeah. bringing them on board. Well, it's almost like there's two reactions. One is ah the new system, how are we supposed to learn this? And the other one, which is almost sadder, is oh my god, this is this is worlds better. Yes, you know, and it's yes. like oh, I almost feel bad because like you know I'm used to everybody talking about how frustrating this is. I'm like what what sort of what sort of horrors must you have been subjected to in your previous system? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 there have been there have been like a lot of enterprise CMSs for a long time have been sort of coasting on the fact that they cost so much to install that no one was willing to replace them. So I, I do look forward to the um, the horrible death of some of the worst CMSs. But I, I, I look forward to the day we can look back on today's CMSs with yes. horror and revulsion. <laughs> How are we using those dinosaurs? Yeah. And of course, there are still some really big commercial, extremely buggy, horrible to use products <laughs> going in, of course, in corporations, institutions, big newspapers, certainly universities. Um, but I, I hope that we can sort of on the grassroots level, take those down from underneath in the next few years and replace them with things that are much lighter weight and, and friendlier. That's my hope. 
Indeed. We'll see. <laughs> so I, I, I've been I've been loving Contents Magazine since it came oh, thank out. Thank you. Um, it's you you launched that. I think I know there's a couple of other uh, co-founders. Um, yes, Krista Stevens is my co-editor, um, and I launched it also with Ethan Marcotte as our creative director, which has been, of course, a dream. Um, and with Eric Westra uh, as our production director. Eric actually comes from a print magazine background. Um, in Chicago and also runs events and things like that in, in the content world. So he's, he's the force or one of the forces behind Confab. Um, so that's also been wonderful. And uh, now we also have Alan Tan on as an assistant editor. And I also had tremendous help from Peter Richardson building out the, um, I, I would hesitate to call it CMS. We tortured WordPress for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to bring back some of my very, very rusty PHP skills. But yes, so that is up. And we have been running, it turns out, for almost a year. Congratulations. Thank you. It's super exciting. We're, we're, um, we're preparing a new issue. And I will tell you, I don't think we've said this publicly yet. So I guess now we have. Um, we are getting spun up for our next issue, which is going to be about um, the many forms of the archive. Ooh. <laughs> that's, that's a really satisfying response. Um, so, you know, we'll be looking at some of this in very straightforward ways, the archive and how we can use it better in content strategy and publishing, um, you know, sort of what are the technical um, things we're doing with archives, what are the editorial challenges, and also we're getting into some physical archives and libraries and talking about um, you know, what's involved in, in running those. Uh, I'm actually headed out to the Internet Archive in, I think, uh, six or seven days. And that's for a, a conference. And while I'm there, I'm looking at a bunch of archival stuff. So I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of interesting things coming oh, along. Man, my, my inner <laughs> ephemera nerd just like leapt with joy. That's... Wonderful. Well, we're, we're very fortunate that a lot of um, a lot of people who are working in libraries and archives and around those kinds of things, and also some of the digital preservationists, uh, have been recognizing that a lot of the things we're sort of struggling toward in you know web content work or content strategy are, are very similar to the things that they do. So it's really nice to see those approaches dovetailing and and you know our overall hope at contents is always that we want to connect people who are doing content work in different fields who might not otherwise talk to each other so that we can sort of share brains and practices and work and and ideally all have you know more efficiency we don't want to keep inventing a dozen wheels <laughs> So I, I may have actually cut you off if you were asking an actual question there. Oh, no, no, no. It, it, I mean, it, I, I'm, I, anything that results in, in having a conversation about archiving, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm always thrilled about. Um, but, well, but one of the things that you mentioned when, when describing what's going to come out is this idea of an issue. And I think that's really fascinating because it's a web publication. There isn't like an actual physical issue you have to print up. It's not like, you know, and on October 28th, there's the drop dead date and we, you know, all the, the, the ink's going to be on the paper. We got to have everything ready. But still, you, you've decided very deliberately to take an issue oriented model with a very, a very curated list of articles that goes in. And instead of 
the sort of river of posts, you know, river of daily posts model that I think really dominated online content for yeah. for quite a few years. What what went into that decision? Um, I, I think part of it is that we really wanted to make something that had the qualities that we enjoy as readers about a magazine. So, you know, we thought about what is it that makes a magazine interesting when you read it, um, leaving aside the qualities of print. And one of those things is the idea that there's been an editorial team or an editorial eye that has intentionally collected things into sort of this the equivalent of an LP or a playlist, something that has an internal logic and has selected pieces that play well together beyond the, like, we publish two things today that interact this way. You know, what does it mean to have 12 articles that all have some connection to the same topic? So that was the thing when we considered magazines that we really wanted to try to play with online. But we also wanted to have... Um, the ability to have a flexible issue. So we didn't want to have all the content and then publish it all at once. Instead, we're doing something, you know, where an issue begins and how you know as we say, hey, it's a new issue, guys. Um, and it's about a particular topic, sometimes pretty loosely, um, other times in more obvious ways. And then that issue runs for somewhere around six to eight weeks. And over the issue, we published things that we already had um, together and edited and ready to go. And also we publish things that come in sort of inspired by or in response to some of the things we published at the beginning of the issue. So that way we can maintain some of the, the interesting conversational quality of editorial work in the stream or the river, as you say. Um, but also have something that has eventually a beginning and an end that centers on a, a chosen topic. And, you know, I'll be honest, over the last year, we've really been finding our feet with the issues. It was difficult to have a sense initially of, you know, how tightly we should conform to a topic. Should we even reveal the topic to our readers or let that be sort of emergent? Um, and we're, we're still figuring that out. And we do have... Um, very close to ready, so I'll actually say it. We're going to be releasing ebooks of each of the issues. Um, so I think that'll help sort of make them more intelligible as issues for people who want to have a, a collected artifact that they can, you know, read on an iPad or a Kindle or whatever it is. Um, and then also, we've realized that there's so much value. We think we like the issue topics. We like what that does to the way we can speak with our authors. But there's a lot of value also in things that aren't tied to the issues. So one of the things we're developing right now and that should be um, coming along toward the beginning of our next issue is a stream of things that will run alongside um, that will be very focused, practical, how we did this one particular content-related thing. Those things won't relate to the issues. Um, they won't be bound by those topics. So we'll have sort of a mini river <laughs> flowing alongside our issues that lets us do timely work and, and really practical how-to work about um, a variety of sort of editorial content strategy, sometimes more technical, um, really process articles so that we can make sure that we have something always available so that we never have to turn down a wonderful how-to article because it doesn't happen to fit our issue topic. 
So that's sort of also coming along. Um, we may just be diving into ever more complexity and will eventually become totally unintelligible <laughs> to everyone who isn't on staff. Then it just becomes an art project. <laughs> yes. So we're trying to keep it out of the concept art world, but we are really still finding our way. And I would guess that this is probably the kind of project or magazine um, that is going to keep changing always. I, I would expect that with every issue, we're going to try something a little bit different um, because that also keeps it really fun for us. Um, but I will say that some of the authors that we have lined up for our next issue, I am super excited about. So, Well, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I, yeah. I'm eagerly awaiting. <laughs> Thank you very much. So I, I think sort of in, in closing, um, do, you, do you have any advice for other people who are who are trying to sort of embark on a similar path, you know, whether it's, you know, trying to put together an editorial approach for a project they're working on or whatever. Are there any, you know, takeaways that you think you've pulled from these different, these widely varied projects that, mm -hmm. you know, you've worked on that could be helpful? That's, a, that's an incredibly that's a broad question. Really big question. Also, yeah. more wishes. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I can sort of try to identify a couple of extremely high-level responses and then maybe point to some other places. Um, I think if I had to pick two sort of guiding principles for, for this kind of work, whether it is in the content strategy world or in inside an organization where you need to do editorial work of, a, of another kind, so much of what we've learned as as a community and have learned to communicate to our employers and clients is that it may not be obvious immediately, but every hour of time spent building reusable structures, um, you know, calendars, guidelines, all of that planning work, everything that we can do up front saves so many more hours later on of, you know, lost project time of things. In the content strategy world, of course, content is one of the major holdups um, that prevents sites from launching, even though they've already been, you know, the dev work is done, the design work is done, we don't have the content. So a lot of what we do, I think, is about acknowledging that time spent up front building reusable tools and processes is always paid for later on and often quite quickly. Um, so I think that's one of the things that we all need to be communicating in order to win the time we need to do this work. It does pay for itself very, very quickly. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing that I think is very encouraging for me to see show up and be acknowledged, again, not just in content strategy, but all kinds of publishing and editorial work, um, is that if we don't serve the user, if we don't serve the reader, nothing else we do matters. So it is important, of course, to keep in mind the um, the needs of whoever is paying us. <laughs> um, but ideally, their work also is is very much about serving the reader or the user in some important way, or or they will soon also become irrelevant. Um, you know, who that reader is really varies when you have a, a B two B company versus a newspaper. You know, those are really different things. But um, it has been wonderful to see that awareness and even some of the shared language showing up across these fields. So 
it's it's great to see user first, reader first. Um, even even when it comes to things like, I don't know if you saw NPR just redesigned its um, its blogs. Like two days ago, they released new responsive designs for all their blogs. And I looked at those, and it it's so clear that they were redesigned with wonderful readability as the very first goal. How novel. And, yeah, right? Um, and, and even newspaper sites, um, which we know have not been perhaps the most readable things. Um, the New York Times a few days ago released a food section, um, a food special, with um, new custom templates that were really, really very much about wonderful readability. And I think part of that is influenced by things like... Um, the services Instapaper and Pocket and Readability that have you know, made it clear that people really do care about how they read um, and that we'll read more if it's not painful and awful. But, but people uh, actually do want to read a People lot. want to read. People read so much online. And I'm delighted that we've almost buried that horrible idea that people won't read on screens. People will re- absolutely read on screens if we make it a pleasurable experience or just not a horrible experience. <laughs> Let's just tone down the horrible just, a bit. Yeah, like just a happens. little less horrible. Um, and, you know, we're getting also uh, retina screens and more things on e-paper and things like that. So um, people want to read. We just have to make it a little bit easier for them. So uh, sort of those would be the big principles. And then I think anyone starting out in this work now faces – a much, much different world than those of us who came in 10 or 12 years ago. There is so much stuff online about how to do this work. It's crazy and It's almost overwhelming. I'm sure that is the new problem, actually, is sort of finding what the better information is when you you look for an editorial calendar for content strategy and you get thousands of results instead of the, like, 14 we used to have. (laughs) That's a different problem. Um, But there are so many resources, and these communities – of content people, um, especially in content strategy, I am finding um, it, it continues to be one of the most friendly, generous communities I have ever professionally been a part of. And I'm actually seeing the same thing um, in, in journalism code. I think this ethic of, you know, this is a new field. It's a hybrid of existing fields. And we are all in this together and need to help each other figure out how to do this work. It's not about competition and scoops and that kind of advantage there is more than enough work to go around there is a a real shortage of people who can do these kinds of 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 things so this is a wonderful time to get into these fields that are sort of either new or you could say that they're not actually new at all it's just that they're a new combination of skills but whatever the case they're super friendly and incredibly helpful and really practical so i i think that's really encouraging. It's the opposite of some of the sort of defensive, closed off fields that if you you know were coming straight out of college 15 years ago, it, there were fields that felt more closed off, that you had to really earn your bones. And I think it is a much friendlier world for people who either are, are coming in fresh out of college or have decided for, you know, whatever reason, they're kind of done with what they're doing now and want to make a change. So I'm, I'm super encouraged by all of that. I don't know if that answers your actual question. It, it absolutely does. <laughs> and it, it's, it's a fantastic answer. And I really appreciate it. 
Well, certainly. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, it's been a pleasure, and I I hope that we'll uh, be seeing more of each other and crossing paths in in the future. I'm I'm sure at some point. Yes. It's, it's a small oh. world when people start talking about content. <laughs> it is. It is. I don't know how long it will be, but let's you know let's enjoy it while it's a party.